0: A tremendous schut uh, we have a very big schut uh, to have Rabbi Glansky to address and speak he's not a, like a, any speaker uh, he, this, is a, this is a speaker that is a combination of years and years of toiling in Torah in a, in, a, in a prestigious yeshiva we were students, obviously we're not the same age but we were in the same yeshiva and he's uh, not just like an airy type of you know kiryu speaker. He's a tamil chacham, a very big tamil chacham. Combination of of a very a, a very entertaining and Amilud and good hashrafah. And uh, everybody should be should uh, 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 should like he doesn't he doesn't need any introduction. He doesn't need any world famous already. Uh, but we uh, we want for those who don't know, I uh, should very much appreciate who is going to speak right now. Take in the Mm -hmm. lesson that he wants to uh, he wants to give over, and this should be a schut for all those who need, um, you know, zivugim, for those who need a parnasa, those who need uh, kids, shalom bayit. Hashem should shower us with all the brachot. Amen.
1: Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, before we begin, I want to give you three options what you could do with your phone this evening. The first one is you could cancel service on your phone for this particular event. You can remove the battery, or you could send it back to the distributor. Those are the three options. Ruchim welcome everyone. Thank you so much, Yadidi Bechavivi, Rabbi Arabaya for organizing uh, tonight's event. To find the zivug hagun for Odalia Bas Dina, Amen. Hashem should send her the karov mamish zivug menash shemayim l'shemot teferes the teker ful the Shana Amen. So thank you so much for giving me uh, this opportunity to share some words before the great chag, before the holiest day of the year and the happiest day of the year. So let me begin by telling you a little story. You have to know a little bit about the characters of the story. One of the greatest Jewish educators today, somebody who had a career of education in many different venues, he was a Rav, he was a Rosh Hashiva, he's a historian, he's a writer, he's a producer, he was an attorney, he covered all bases, Rabbi Line. And he was once in the airport... And he's somebody who, thousands of people have listened to his tapes and his shiurim. Someone's in the airport and he says, Is that you, Rabbi? I can't, R- Rabbi, that's you? And Rabbi Wine doesn't like to take in, you know, the adoring fans. So he starts to sort of uh, slip away, walk away. And I can't believe it's you. You know, I read all your books and I heard all your shiurim and I heard all your tapes and your lectures and in my shul alone, there are a few dozen people that read your books just when the rabbi is speaking. It's unbelievable how much you're able to uh, account how much you influenced me. And Rabbi Wein has had enough. The guy is harassing him. The guy is bothering him. And Rabbi Wein says, very nice. Have a safe flight. Hope to see you later. Catch you later. And the guy doesn't let up. And he says, Rabbi, I just want to tell you one last thing. You know, behind every great man is an even greater woman. So Rabbi, please send my best regards to and Friend. Got the wrong Rabbi. <laughs> so he, Rabbi Wine, you know, he has a very uh, witty sense of humor. He says, uh, I don't usually travel with her, but next time I see her, I'll definitely let her know. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, sometimes in life, you can really miss the boat. But it doesn't make such a big difference. I remember... Uh, the great Maggit of Yushalayim, Rav Shalom Shradran. He was once giving a shmooze, he was once giving a talk, and he was talking about Olam Haba, and he says, Olam Haba is azoi gishmak. It's so enjoyable. You know how enjoyable Olam Haba is? Let me give you a little flavor. It's like drinking a cold Pepsi after a hot shalant. Wow, that's real. So a few days later, one of his Talmidim uh, come over to the Maggid, and he says, you know, Rebbe, you changed my life. I have a... Different perspective on life. So the Rebbe said, what? You're learning more? You're davening better? No, no. I never tried Pepsi after Cholent before. It's very very schmack. So sometimes you have to listen carefully to the message because you could blow it and you could think what the Rabbi is saying is you should try Pepsi after a hot Cholent. I want to share with you a question. This question cuts to the core of these days that we're experiencing right now. Let's focus for a moment on the high holidays, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Any thinking person should be really bothered by this question. Let's think about the order of the Yom and First, we have Rosh Hashanah. And we come to Shul, and God judges us. Mm-hmm. What does He judge us based on? He judges us based on our actions. So, the Gemara tells us, Hashem weighs our mitzvot and our aveirot. Anyone who has more mitzvot than aveirot, He's written and sealed for a year of life, Health, happiness, success. Anyone who has more Averot than Mitzvot, Chas Shalom, their year is written and sealed, not for a good outcome. That's what the Gemara says. And then ten days later, we come back to the Beit HaKnesset, we come back to Shul, and now it's not about Judgment Day, now it's about our souls, and it's about sealing the final judgment, And the Gemara tells us on Yom Kippur, God atones for our sins. He cleanses our Neshemot. And if you think about it just a little bit, the order of the Yom im seems to be exactly backward, uh, seemingly unfair. And why did God do it this way? We know that God is a merciful Father. He's our loving Father. Whatever He does for us is for our benefit. Wouldn't it make a lot more sense to start off with Yom Kippur, we're going to come to Shul. God's going to cleanse our souls. We're going to go through the car wash. He's going to take, you know, the the soap and the, the shiny thing and He's going to clean our souls. He's going to cleanse our neshamot, And then we should come back 10 days later and He'll judge us. And by that time, you know, we'll be uh, sitting pretty. We'll be in a perfect situation. We'll have only mitzvot, no aveirot, and we'll be written and sealed for a long, happy, successful, healthy year? Why would God first judge us? Oh, First God's going to judge us when we have all our sins on our slate and then after he judges us, he's going to forgive our sins. What's the Chachman doing that? First let's have Yom Kippur, forgive our sins and then if he judges us, we'll be uh, in great shape to have a wonderful judgment. This is the question that the great rabbi you ever hear of him? Rabbi Itzelah Petterberg what of Yitzhak Blazer said was the question of Rabbi Israal Salanter. Rabbi Israal Salanter was the founder of the Muster movement, and Rabbi Israal Salanter was bothered why does God first judge us and then forgive our sin? He should first forgive our sin and then judge us. I have another important question to ask you. You know, on Rosh Hashanah, anyone who has more mitzvot than Aveirot is written and sealed for a long, happy successful year. Anyone who has more abeirot than mitzvot? The opposite. And then we have this category, in-between category. Who knows what it's called? Benonim. The in-between guys. The mediocre guys. The guys who are 50-50. And their judgment is suspended. Yeah? It's delayed. It's delayed from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. The Gemara tells us if they tilt the scales on the side of mitzvot, they're sealed for life. If they tilt the scales of for the side of, of avirot, then chas v'shalom, they're sealed for uh, the other fate. Does anybody here really think that anybody is Beinoni? What's the likelihood that anybody is a Beinoni? I mean, a tzaddik is someone who has more mitzvot than Averot. A rasha is someone who has more Averot than mitzvot. You think there's anyone in this world who's actually 50-50? I mean, what's the chances of that? I think we could peg anybody and say, okay, that guy, more mitzvot than Averot. That guy, more Averot than mitzvot. What's the likelihood? You think there's anyone alive today who's exactly 50-50? And what's the chance of that? Is that even possible? And you know, by the way, we get all worked up on Yom Kippur because we figure we must be Beinonim. You think we're really Beinonim? You think we're really in-between? it seems pretty implausible, very unlikely, that anyone's actually a Beinonim. So that's what we would like to discuss. And then the Gemara tells us the Beinonim are suspended. They're they're hanging. Where are these guys hanging? What are they hanging on? Where are they suspended? What's the meaning of So I'm going to tell you a story. I've said this story before. But the story is so shocking that I decided to go back to the source today. I went, I called up my friend, who is the nephew of the author of this sefer. Tell me where this rabbi got it from. And I got an email that uh, the rabbi got it from a number of svarim. One of them is even quoted by the son of the, the Skvera rabbi. But this is a story that took place about 150 years ago in the city of Slutsk. And in the city of Slutsk, there was a butcher. You like meat? People like meat. Okay, good. And uh, this butcher was a religious butcher. And it's Thursday night. Thursday night is the busiest night of the year, of the week. And uh, the store is full of customers. And outside of the butcher shop is a doctor. This doctor was Kofar Beikar. He was a heretic. He did not believe in nothing. Fine. <coughs> and uh, he overhears in the butcher shop. The butcher is telling all the customers, get out of here, <coughs> leave my shop. I gotta get I have to close the store immediately. So either get your meat now or get out. And if you really need meat, either come back tomorrow or come back in an hour. Mincha is in seven minutes. And the doctor who overhears this conversation, he's really upset. I mean, is this butcher out of his mind? This is uh, the most important hour of the week for a butcher. It's an hour. It's late Thursday night. This is how he makes the panasah for the entire week. Why would you kick out a customer? Everybody knows a customer sent away is a customer lost forever. And the doctor goes over to the butcher. He says, you out of your mind. Why are you sending your customers away? So the butcher said, look, Mincha is in five and a half minutes now. I have to pray. I have to go to my shior. Parnassah comes from Shamayim. And after all, I need to be concerned about Olam Haba. So the doctor says, Olam Haba, you're a fool. There's no such thing as Olam Haba. So the butcher says, you're right, for you, you're not going to have Olam Haba. I'm hoping that I'm going to have a big share in Olam Haba. So the doctor is not faced. He says, you believe in Ulam Haba? Here, here, let's make a deal. You give me one ruble, and I will sell you all of my Ulam Haba. The butcher says, deal, deal of the century. He hands him the ruble. He says, thanks for the Ulam Haba. He runs to Mincha and that's the end of the story. 35 years later, the butcher is in his mid-70s. Thursday morning. Who's there? A well-dressed woman walks into the butcher shop. She looks very disturbed. He says, "Yeah, can I help you?" She says, "I want to remind you of an incident that took place a long time ago. I just do me a favor. Just tell me it's not true." Says, tell me the story. She's embarrassed to tell you, but you know, I had this crazy dream. My husband, the doctor, he came to me in a dream, and he's screaming and he's and he's he's lost it. He's telling me that he went up to the Bezim Shamal, he went up to the court in Shemaim, and they weighed his Averot, and he had a lot of Averot. And he had some mitzvot. He had a lot of good mitzvot because he was a doctor and he used to treat the poor for free. And it was like 50-50, and in the last moment, God told my husband that he can't get Olam Haba, why? Because he sold the Olamaba to the butcher. So the lady says, look, I'll tell you the truth. I had the dream once and I pushed it out of my mind. But I'm having the dream night after night after night after night and I cannot sleep at night and it looks like my husband is tormented. So just tell me this is not true. Tell me the whole thing is made up and then I could uh, rest easy. So the butcher says, lady... I remember the story like it was yesterday. That's exactly what happened. That that was your husband? huh? I gave him a ruble, and I took his olam haba. She said, okay, so he asked me to give you the ruble back, and you give him back the olam This way, you know, he could go up to Shemayim and get his reward. The butcher said, not a chance. I would never take back that ruble for the olam After all, what do I do for a living? I'm just a butcher. You think I'm going to get any Olam Haba? Now that I'm hearing that your husband was a doctor and he treated the poor and he had a big share in the world to come and I bought it, I will never give this up forever. So I really feel bad for him. And Hashem Yerachem on your husband, but I cannot return his Olam Haba. This belongs to me. Have a wonderful day. Bracha haslacha Chazak and even though it was Slutsk and they didn't know Chazak Baruch, she, he said Chazak Baruch. <laughs> That night, she goes to sleep and the husband is tormented. He's he's disturbed. He's screaming. He's yelling, Lady, get me back. My Olam Haba, they're going to torture me. My existence is, is in jeopardy. Just get back to Olam Haba. Give him $100. Give him $10 million. Just give me back Get me back to Olam So she goes back to the butcher. The butcher says, I can't trade Olam for money. I would never do that. He comes to her in a dream again. And he says, You're going to go to the ra- the rub of the city. You're going to go to Ridvaz and you're going to tell him the story. And we have to have a court case. Yeah, we, we have to have a din Torah. I'll hear both sides and we'll see what he passes. So the lady knocks on the rabbi's door. And I don't know of any... Rabbi, Rabbi Chaim, if somebody knocked on your door that they sold their Olam Haba and someone came to a dream, I don't know too many rabbis that they would give them the time of day. But the Ridvaz listened very carefully to the lady and, she, and he said, we're going to have to convene a court case. And word got out in the city of Slutsk mm-hmm. that there's going to be the court case of the century. The woman, Eshet harofe, against the butcher... Where will this olam habago? And the town is buzzing. This was like the most exciting thing that ever happened in the history of the city of Slutz. And the rabbi hears the butcher's case and he hears the woman's case and he's thinking and he's deliberating and he says, I'm going to go into my chambers. I'll be out in 30 minutes. He comes out 30 minutes later and he says, I have my din." The Psak has three parts to it. And the people mm-hmm. sitting there, they're they're waiting with bated breath, and they feel so terrible for they remember the doctor, he wasn't a great guy, but he's he's in Olam Habah, he doesn't have a share in Olam Haba. The first part of the Psak, says the Ridvaz, is the sale is bustle. it's nullified, it's not a good sale. Says the Ridvaz, you can't sell Olam Haba. Olam Abba is not transferable. You could sell an item, you could sell a possession. If let's say you owe me $500, I could say, don't give it to me, give it to Ruvein. We could transfer money. Furthermore, if you support Torah, then the learning and the mitzvot that you support, you get, not because you bought the Olam Abba, because you facilitated the performance of the mitzvah. But once someone does a mitzvah, you can't buy his olam haba. I'll give you an example. I see some guys over here. You go to the gym. You work out. You have big, you know, you're healthy. Imagine like this. You hit the gym for three days straight. You lift weights. You do aerobics. You're, you know, you're in good shape. Then somebody comes to you. This guy is a couch potato. He hasn't gotten off his couch In 10 years, he knows every bad episode of every rotten television show. He hasn't moved. His arms are like macaroni. And he goes to you, he says, You, you hit the gym every day. I want, I'm going to buy off of you your health, well-being, cardiac, um, vitality. I'm going to buy it. You know, money could buy it. Could you buy exercise? Could you buy good health? Of course not. It's not transferable. It's part and parcel of your identity. It's part of your essence. Imagine somebody goes to Florida. They sit in the sun for a few days. They breathe in the good air. And then they come back and someone says, Oh, you look really good. I'm going to purchase it off you. You can't buy that. So, to Olam you can't buy Olam You can't buy the world to come. It's not transferable. So the first part of the halakha says this rabbi is that the sale is batel. The sale is off. The sale is nullified. It's not transferable. So everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Now this butcher uh, will have to give back to the doctor his olam haba and the doctor will have a big share in the world to come. Part two of the psak says the Ridvaz the doctor lost his share in the world to come. Everyone gasps. Why did he lose his share in the world to come? Says the Radvaz, the Gemara tells us, "Sidkas sadik loy Tzilenu b'yom The righteousness of the Tzadik will not save him on the day of his sin. Which means, somebody does a mitzvah, and then they regret the mitzvah, they get no reward for the performance of the mitzvah. If somebody does not believe in Olam haba they don't get Olam If somebody disparages Olam they lose their Olam This doctor was mezalzel. He disparaged his Olam He said, here, you take my Olam and you give me a few bucks. You give me a ruble. So he's mizalzel mezalzel Olam He didn't value it. He didn't consider it important. If you don't value it, you don't get it. The doctor lost his share in the world of come. And people are beside themselves. People are crying. Why did the doctor lose his share in the world to come? He was such a good man. No, the rabbi said. He was Mazal Ba'olam Haba. But then the Ridvaz says, one last clause. The doctor will get a great share Ba'olam Haba. Like, what? I thought you just said he lost it. Says the Ridvaz, this doctor created a big kiddush Hashem. What kiddush Hashem. Says the kiddush Hashem was that until this court case, everybody just talked about Olam Haba. What's Olam Haba? It's a concept that you hear about from a rabbi. It's a concept that people talk about, but it wasn't real to anybody. Nobody valued it. Nobody was worried about it. Nobody was concerned about it. Everybody was worried. Yeah, where am I going to live in this world? How big is the lot of my house in this world? How big is my kitchen? How much marble do I have in, in my house? What kind of vehicle do I drive? What kind of clothing do I wear? Everybody was worried about olam and olam is just like a word. Olam haba, it's two words, olam Nobody treated it like a reality. Was anybody worried what their house is going to look like in olam Did anybody think about what their vehicle will be in olam Did anybody think about what their clothing will be like? Oh, No! It was just words. But now that we had a court case about olam Haba, and people realized this is something real. This is someone, something actual. This is reality of existence. That wherever you live in this world is only for 50, 60, 70 years. So where are you going to live forever? And whatever you wear is, how long do clothing last for? One, two, three seasons? But what kind of begadim will you have in Olam Habah? This, the reality of Olam Habah that was brought to the forefront from this court case was such a kidush Hashem. And who caused the Kiddo Hashem? The doctor? The doctor will get a great share in the world to come. We're going to be, speak about a subject tonight that you're not going to hear about too often. Because the Yetzir Hara is so clever that he makes sure that nobody talks about it. Yeah, you could hear about Chumash, and you could hear about Halacha, and you could hear about Gemara, but nobody could talk about this. Because if you talk about this, this is the single most important fundamental principle that will spell the difference in every single decision that we will make throughout our life. What I call the seven most important words of Judaism. Olam, Hazeh Dome, Bifne, Olam, Haba. This world is a hallway before the world to come. This world is just the entrance, the alleyway, the hallway, the corridor before the world to come. Is it so important what kind of house we live in, in the hallway, what kind of clothes we have in the hallway, what kind of possessions we have in the hallway, when it's just a preparation for eternal existence? You no, know, Ruderman, the Rashashiwa of Yeshiva Neri Yisrael, he would always say over at, at a pidyon haben. Any him over here? All oh, right. So we have another
0: conname.
1: So we have a pidyon that we have a firstborn kid. That at the first point, uh, the kid is born. He's 30 days old. We go to the kohen, and the father gives the kohen five silver sheka. and the kohen asks what's got to be the quintessential rhetorical question: three words, May What do you want more, Bincha your firstborn son, or chamishlam, or five uh, five bucks? What would you rather have, your kid or the money? And I don't think any parent in history ever told the Kohen, Kohen, you keep the kid, and I'll take the money. Maybe the parent should have told the Kohen that. But certainly not by the firstborn. I don't think anyone ever told the Kohen, Hey, Kohen, you keep my kid. I'd rather have the money. That's the question the Kohen asks. is say, what would you rather have? The kid or the money? And Rav Rudiman would say, this question is not an isolated question that is only asked at the time that you go to the Kohen and the Kohen says, what would you rather have, the money or the kid? This is a question that literally affects every single decision we will make for the rest of our life. We can always ask this question, my Ba'ist what would you rather have? Let's say we're deciding... What neighborhood I live in? The question is, what would you rather have? Olam Hazah or Olam Haba? Which school do I send my kid to? You know what that decision is based on? What are you more interested in? Olam Hazat or Olam Haba? Where do you go on vacation? One central question. Which world do you want? Do you want this world? Or do you want eternal world? Every decision we make throughout our existence is dependent on one major question. Do we love Olam Haza or do we love Olam Haba? you say, Rabbi, let easy, bug off. I like both worlds. I like Olam Haba and I like Olam Hazah. Look, I'm here already. If I'm here, I might as well enjoy my meals, wear nice clothes, live in a nice house drive a nice car. I mean, I'm here, so I'll have this world, and I'm going to have the world to come. And the answer is, you should enjoy every moment of life. Every blessing God gave you, every meal you have, you should enjoy to its fullest. Enjoy your children, enjoy your house. But what we're discussing is which world are you after? Which world are you pursuing? And they're mutually exclusive. And that's the decision... The most important decision that we will make in our life: which world are we running after? What are we chasing? Says the, <laughs> the Chovos Halvavos. <laughs> you cannot put into one cup fire and water. Try it. You can't put fire and water in one cup. <laughs> In the heart of the believer, you can't love olam hazeh and olam You could be happy here. You could enjoy here. But you can't be after both worlds. And the single most important decision that any human being will make in their life is which world they want. We had a question: Who's a benanit? Do you think anyone's a benanit? Do you think anyone has exactly equal number of mitzvot and averot? You know who's a benanit? Every single person is a benani. so Really? And you know where they're suspended? Let me explain something to you. We're all suspended in between two worlds: between this world and the world to come. We want this world. We want really good food and really good clothing and really good vacations. Yeah, we want, we want, we desire, and we're here in the Beit HaKnesset, and we want to hear words of Torah and we want to do mitzvot. We want Olam Haba, and we're smack in the middle of both worlds. The body pulls us down, and the neshama pulls us up, and we're by definition benonim God created us benonim we're pulled after this world. We're drawn to the world to come. And it's a big avodah. It's a big job during these ten days. we got to pull away from our yearning for olam ha'zest. You know what God does for us? He does us a very big favor. Because if we would be able to see olam haba, if we could taste it, if we could feel it, there's no question we would say, Okay, God, that's what I want. I want olam haba. So God says, I'll do you a favor. I'm going to take one day out of Olam Haba. I'm going to give you one day. ein ein sacharut. There's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no fighting. And when the neshama experiences that day, the neshama will say, Hey God, I don't want, I don't want this world. I understand. This world is like a sukkah this world is just temporary. That's why after Yom Kippur, Hashem gives us one day of olam haba, and once the neshama tastes and feels olam then the neshama says to God, God, that's what I want. That's who I am. So Hashem says, okay, we're going to practice for seven days. We're going to have an exercise. That's what you want? You ready for this? One, Okay, two, three. Okay, you're going to leave your house. You're going to sit in a temporary residence for seven days, and you're gonna change your existence, you're not a Beynoni anymore. You don't live for Olam you live for Olam Haba. It says Rabbi Soh Salanter. you know why it's so troubling to us? Why does God first judge us, and then forgive our sins? Isn't it backward? He should first forgive our sins, and then judge us. You know why we're bothered by this question? Because all we think about is Olam We think about life, we think about health, we think about our children. We think about money. So we say, hey, it's not fair. First forgive our sins, and then judge us. But God knows the truth. God knows that this world is almost is a speck of dust in the spectrum of our existence. Our main existence is Olam Haba. So God says like this, Rabbi Yid, Jew, if you would first come to the shul for a Yom Kippur, do you know what would happen? Rabbi you what's going to happen. If you would tell the people, okay? First we have Yom Kippur. What? Yom Kippur? What do we do on Yom Kippur? There's no eating, there's no drinking. Why? We have to clean our neshama. Rabbi, why do I need to clean my neshama? You know why? Because your neshama needs to be clean for Olam Haba. Rabbi, why do I care about Olam Haba? What in the world is Olam Haba? That's why you want me to come to shul? Because I've cleaned my soul for Olam Haba? What's all my bug going to do for me? So God says, okay, we're going, to, we're going to ease you into this whole thing very slowly. First, we're going to tell you, come to Shul, do Teshuvah. Why should I do Teshuvah? For your health, for your money, for your family. Ooh, now you're talking my language. I know what health is. I know what money is. So we come to the Beit HaKneset for Rosh Hashanah and the language that the repercussions... The, the um, what is at stake is something that's meaningful to us. And then after Rosh Hashanah is over, God says, just joking, it's not about Rosh Hashanah. Now that we got you into the shul, and you started thinking about your souls, it's not about the Rosh Hashanah. It's about the world to come. And for the world to come, you need to make sure you show up there with a clean neshamah. But once we've already began the process on Rosh Hashanah, and we started thinking about ourselves, now a little bit olam haba starts to make sense to us. And therefore, we have to come to the Beit HaKnesot on Yom Kippur and understand that our mission is to identify clearly with conviction, my which world are we after, which world are we interested in. About six years ago, I was invited to speak in a community down south in Memphis, Tennessee. And interesting, in Memphis, Tennessee, it's right off the Mississippi River. You could go to the Bass Pro Shop. And uh, in the Bass Pro Shop, you could buy any, you know, it's like the heart of the NRA. You could buy any weapon you want over there. You know, there's a, That's like the big religion, to make sure you own a weapon there down south and there's the tallest freestanding elevator in the United States of America. You go up the elevator, you look down, you see the Mississippi River. In Memphis, Tennessee, I met an old man. He was a man in his 90s. His name was Yeshua Kutner. And he told me one of the most moving stories I ever heard. He said he grew up in New York in 1920, in the Bronx. And... He was a kid in the time of the Great Depression, you know, in the time of the Great Depression you had businessmen who, they used to be multimillionaires in the 1930s, they couldn't even buy a loaf of bread, and a loaf of bread cost two pennies, a carton of milk was five pennies, a newspaper was one penny, people could not afford the basics, even the wealthiest people. The wealthy people would stand on street corners selling buttons, apples, and shoelaces to put food on the table. My grandfather grew up in the Bronx in the 30s. All six kids slept on one mattress. That's that's all they could afford. In the Bronx, there were 600,000 Jews. 600 boys went to yeshiva. The assimilation rate was astronomical. So this uh, family, the Kutner family, went to one of the only Orthodox yeshivas of the time. The problem was, as hungry as they were, the rabbis in the yeshiva were starving, and the rabbis went on strike because the parents couldn't pay tuition. The principal told these boys, either you come in tomorrow with $6, all the back tuition your parents owe, or you don't come back. Now you have to know something. I'm not going to mince words. Any child that went to public school in the 30s in New York does not have Jewish grandchildren today. I'm just going to say it as it is. A kid who didn't go to the yeshiva did not have Jewish descendants. And these are kids from Orthodox families. Their parents were rabbis in Europe. They didn't go to yeshiva. They didn't have Jewish descendants. And many Jews, many Jewish kids, their parents couldn't pay tuition. They had to go to public school. And uh, the boys, uh, they come home, they tell their parents. Their parents didn't know what to do. So mom says to daddy, dad, you have one suit. It was an ugly suit. (laughs) But you have one suit where the jacket matches the the pants. Go to the pawn shop. Maybe you can get six bucks for the suit. So he goes to the pawn shop. The owner of the pawn shop says that this suit is a piece of junk. It's not worth more than $3.35. But the father begged, if I don't get $6, my kids are not going to get back to Yeshiva. So he got $6 for the suit, the kids bring in $6, and they go back to the Yeshiva. So this gentleman told me, this was one of the most moving experiences in my life. Now me and my brothers knew what Torah meant to our family. If we were not as fortunate, we would have ended up like a lot of the other boys who didn't gets to stay in the yeshiva, and they don't have Jewish descendants today. My father never had the money to buy his suit back, but God gave him something more valuable in return. God gave him generations of God-fearing Jews. All of my great-grandchildren today are, Torah, are Shomrei Torah Mitzvah. Aaron HaKohen wore eight garments. A regular Kohen wore four garments. My dad had a suit. That was his big day kahuna. He sold it for $6. That was the best $6 he ever spent in his life. Here's one mistake we make we think our life is finite. No, you wish. Our bodies are finite, our actions are infinite. Our actions will continue to reverberate forever and ever, long after we're gone. Does anybody know why is it called Yom Kippurim, the Day of Atonements? What? Why plural? What, why plural? And the Ramah writes because God doesn't just atone for the living; He atones for the dead. The dead get atonement on Yom Kippur. You know, people come to shul; they give money for yizkar. Why? To atone for the dead. You light a candle for the dead, Arab Yom Kippur, to bring atonement to the dead. Can someone tell me, why do dead people need atonement? What exactly are they doing wrong, buried six feet under the ground? They're doing Averot. The guy, hey, move over. It's a little stuffy in here. What exactly are the dead doing wrong? Statistics show that it, the dead find it very difficult to speak Lashon Hara once they're buried. Very little Lashon Hara going on underground over there. Nobody's driving car on Shabbat under the ground. There's no Nobody ate any trade once they're, once they're buried under the ground. Why do dead people need atonement? Why do they need Kapara? I understand the living need Kapara. Why do Mesim need Kapara? I'm going to explain," says Rabbi Yeshua Heller. Here you have a guy, good guy, honest guy, good Jew. He came to shul every day. He prayed with Minyan three times a day. But not only did he pray with Minyan, he wouldn't even bring his phone into the Beit HaKnesset because you know if you come into the Beit HaKnesset with a phone on, that's not really tefillah. Shilat is to pray to God with all your heart. If you're distracted looking at the telephone, then you're not praying with all your heart, you're praying with half a heart. That's, that's not really Shilat. This guy would not even bring his telephone into the Beit Midrash. That's the correct thing to do. Not only that, he learned every day. He worked honestly. And then he went up to Shamayim, and God said, Zisa, Yingala, you're a good boy. We're going to give you a nice spot in Olam Abba. So he got a nice house, he got corner property with nice landscaping, luxury vehicle in Olam Haba. He has a yacht in his backyard. He's nice. He's doing very well in Olam Haba. <laughs> Next year comes Rosh Hashanah. They say, Reb guess what? You're getting a promotion. He said, promotion? I didn't do anything, I'm dead. I've been here in Olam Haba, I didn't do any mitzvot. He said, you're right, you didn't do any mitzvot but your children, they worked honestly this year because they learned from your example, that goes to your merit. And the guy who sat next to you in shul, he stopped bringing his cell phone to the Beit HaKnesset because he learned from your example, so that goes to your merit. And the guy who sat two rows behind you, he started learning every day because of your example. So that's residual income. You didn't have that income last year. Those were dividends you didn't collect. So now we're giving you a promotion. Now you're moving to Long Island in Olam Haba. And you're going to have a much bigger property. And you don't have to worry about New York City taxes in Olam Haba. You're going to have a much better spot. said, okay, I'll take it. But it's a pain in the neck to move. No, in Olam Haba we have very easy moving procedures. You just tell us where you want to live and we're giving you a whole block on Long Island. Yeah, I'll take it. The next Rosh Hashanah. They come knock on his door. They say, Rabbi you're getting another promotion. So what do I do now? What do you do now? You have grandchildren. They're learning in yeshiva. There were the people, the guy who didn't bring in his phone, because you didn't bring in his phone, the guys who saw him, they didn't bring in their phone. So now you have even more residual income. So now we're moving you to the Hamptons of Ulam Haba. And you're going to have a whole beachfront area in Olam Abad. It's unbelievable. The guy says, it's great, wonderful. Good. That's why the Gemara says, The righteous have no peace. Not in this world, and not in the world to come. In this world, they're busy, they're busy, they're amassing Torah, mitzvot, and the world to come every week. They're getting another promotion. Then you have a guy. He, he didn't live that great. Like an hour before Shabbat was over, he cut some corners, and his tefillah. He was like in between WhatsApp tefillah, WhatsApp tefillah, email tefillah. His learning wasn't consistent. It was. He didn't treat people with proper respect. But he? What's the name of the show? What? Beit Nasi, but he gave a lot of money to Beit Nasi, so we, we have to reward him for that. So he goes up to the Shamayim, and he says, "Very And there are a lot of these scary angels, sur- uh, you know, around him. And he knows he's not getting a good spot. But they said, "Look, we got to give you a place to live." So they give him a one-bedroom apartment in Harlem of Olam Haba, <laughs> and he has to lock, you know, twenty locks on his doors because there are these scary gremlin malachim who are peering through the windows. And he has to buy... He has to... A year later, they knock on his door. Rebid. And they're like these frightening angels at the front door. They said, well, you're being evicted. Well, I didn't do any of wrote here in Olam Havad. Yeah. But you now have five people brought their phone to the Tevila because you were busy on the phone the whole time. And six people were not careful with Shmirat Shabbat because you weren't careful. And... The way you, you wanted your wife not to be tsanuah, not to be maris, and because of that another thirty people were laxed in tzniyot, So we were evicting you. You're going we're moving you to a park bench in Central Park of Olamaba. You're gonna be homeless in Olamaba And that nice suit that you're wearing, no. Now you're gonna be wearing shmatas in Olamaba. And you're now gonna drive a Ford Taurus in Olamaba. That's the first car I ever had. says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, we think that our actions are finite. Our actions continue to reverberate forever and ever and ever. Every decision we make, every mitzvah we do, every avera we do, they're not limited. They reverberate. There's ripple effects. It affects the person next to you, the person down the block, the person in the next neighborhood. In fact, Rabbi Shua Heller quotes an ancient rabbi named Rabbi Avi ad Sar Shalom, who was a contemporary of Ramchal. Remember the wicked king Manasseh who introduced Avodah Zarah throughout the land of Israel? And because of him, Avodah Zarah proliferated for generations and generations. And ultimately, Manasseh did tshuvah, but, Menashe's teshuvah is not recorded in the book of Melachim. It's only recorded in Debre Hayamim. Why is that? Why is Menashe's teshuvah not recorded in Melachim, only in the Sefer Debre Hayamim? You know why? Because Menashe influenced so many people to serve idols that when he tried to repent, God said, I can't accept your repentance. The children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of the people who you influence, they're still serving idols. So it's very nice you're sorry about what you did, and you'll never do it again. But the ripple effects of your actions have already gone out of control. We cannot accept your tshuva. But then generations later, when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, and all the idolaters were murdered. And Ezra prayed that God should abolish the desire for uh, Avodah Zarah. So now Menashe's repercussions had finished. Then and only then was Menashe's tshuva accepted. Because we have to recognize, we have to understand that our actions have fruits. And those fruits produce more fruits. And it's a never-ending series of influence that we have. Says Rabbi Avi Ad Sar Shalom that when God analyzes and scrutinizes and judges a person in order to judge any individual he needs to judge everyone alive on earth just to be able to determine the influence that each individual had. my grandfather grew up in the Bronx in the 1930s it was very challenging to remain observant in that time and one of the ways that he was able to remain strong is he had a grandfather. His name was Meshulam Feish. He was a working man, but he was a spirited Jew. And my grandfather would go to his grandfather Friday night, and his grandfather would sing Shabbat Zmirot with such passion and his lahavos that the roof would shake. And those, the mirot, entered my grandfather's heart and it remained with him for the rest of his life and he remained a loyal and faithful Jew. And I tell you, every Rosh Hashanah, my grandfather's grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, they knock on his door. They say, Rabir, you're getting a promotion this year. So what did I do? So he didn't do anything new. Remember when you sang Zemirot 80 years ago? Your grandson has a grandson, Gladstein and Cedarhurst. He has boys who daven very nicely. All of those tefilot, they go to you. So you get another raise this year. You get another promotion. And therefore, says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, Al yecherad levav ha'adam. For this man's heart should tremble sito el libo, when we focus, when we pay attention. Any act that we perform in this world, your actions will outlive you. So you better make sure, where are my actions headed? If my actions are good, they'll produce good fruits, and I will reap the benefits from them forever and ever. But says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, Imchamat Taninim yena. The person was not careful with their actions in this world. Who's gonna wake you up from your grave that you could run to every person who watched what you did and say, Please don't pay attention to my life! Don't pay attention to how I acted. I beg you, it's bad enough what I did. Just ignore everything I did. Is anyone going to wake us up and allow us to visit every person on planet Earth to tell them, please do me a favor, ignore my lifetime? says Rabbi Yeshua Heller, what you do makes a difference. What you do today makes a difference. What you're going to do tomorrow makes a difference. Life counts. Life's not a joke. Life is important. Every action that we do has a ripple effect on all of mankind. Yom Kippur is not only a day of forgiveness for the living. Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness for the dead. May HaKadosh Baruch Give us the heavenly assistance to recognize and identify which world we are interested in. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us <laughs> siyata HaDashmaya to recognize the value of every moment of life. Amen. To value every action that we do. Amen. And Hashem puts us in the right path. We'll reap the benefits and the rewards of our Mitsu sanas and tovim forever and ever and ever. For this world, the l'chaye olam hazeh, in health, Parnasa, Nachas, Happiness, and Bezrat Hashem. Arichas Yomim, Arichas Shonim, O Yom Shekulei Tov, Yom Shekulei Oroch, Agamar Chasim Thank you so much. Amen.